This episode of the Joy of Drinking podcast is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, the premier destination for food and wine lovers since 1975. And right now at your local Zupan's, check out the Farm to Market Stout. Brewed in collaboration with Ferment Brewing, this stout is aged in rum barrels over imported bitter orange peels, featuring notes of chocolate and spice. You might also want to think about Zupan's when thinking about your holiday feast. Whether it's Hanukkah or upcoming Christmas festivities, you can order your entire meal online at zupans.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their many great recipes that you can uh, use for maybe some of those Thanksgiving leftovers. Three locations to serve you, including McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Oswego, and always online at zupans.com. Right at the Fork is proud to present this episode of the Joy of Drinking podcast. Back to the Joy of Drinking podcast. It is the holidays. Ready or not, here they come. And we're so excited today to talk with Jason Erickson of Eastside Distilling. Eastside Distilling has been around for 12 or 13 years now, and they're a Portland-based company who has a, an incredible lineup of spirits. And I was lucky enough to attend a dinner recently for the lot the launch of some of their small batch offerings, and there's a major list. <laughs> And there are some seasonal flavored whiskeys coming out. There's the Marion Berry, which may be gone already, a cherry, and an Oregon Cranberry. Anyway, today we get to hear from distiller at Eastside Distilling, Jason Erickson, and he's going to kind of talk us through some of his history, how he became a distiller, how to find Eastside Distilling spirits, and uh, a few other things. So stay tuned with us today while we uh, talk with Jason. So Jason, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So Jason, I'm always interested to find out how people get into their careers. So how did you end up being a, a distiller? I kind of fell into it by accident. I was actually trying to get into the brew, the beer brewing industry. Mm-hmm. And that that was like right around 2010, 2011. And at that time here in Portland, it was pretty challenging to break into that that market. So I figured I'd do anything kind of adjacent to that. So I got a job down in Tualatin at a place that makes tofu uh, using a unique process. Uh, they actually package it into Tetra Pak packaging. Like um, you'll see like almond milk in those little boxes. Right. It's basically that sort of that sort of filling process. But then it goes through an extra step after you fill it with the, basically the liquid soy milk with the coagulant in it. And it goes through a steam tunnel and then comes out the other end of the steam tunnel in these little packages as tofu. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a unique process and and actually it followed a lot of the steps that you would go through for brewing beer. So you would receive grain in, you would um, in this case with, with the tofu, you'd soak it for like 12 to 18 hours to basically, you know, from the you go from the dry bean into the expanded bean with water in it and then it gets ground up, cooked and um, then goes through a high heat treatment to like basically pasteurize it and sterilize it. And then it would go through these fillers. And basically I ended up going, um, kind of ending up overseeing the whole process of that and learning each step of the way. I started out in the, like the downstream side and the packaging and, and pack off. And then 
got into the filling side and then got into the, the processing side. So I was able to learn the, the kind of the whole process and um, then did that for about two and a half years and then got laid off from there. And then just as my unemployment was about to run out, I was looking on Craigslist for jobs and then that's when I found Eastside. Wow. And, yeah. So <laughs> my, my predecessor, Mel, uh, so like we're both huge soccer fans, fans of the Timbers. And I was going to a game like the day of my interview, like a couple hours after my interview, I walk in wearing a timber scarf uh, to the interview and she says, oh, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So from tofu yeah. to whiskey. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been with Eastside then? Uh, just over seven years now. Wow. That's incredible to me. Oh, my goodness. So the jump then from tofu to spirits sounds like you know, you got a lot of background training from the tofu piece. Right. But what is the, how did you get then, you know, did you say, okay, I'm going to go into the spirits world? How, what, what was that connection then? Well, yeah, it's, uh, again, like I was still trying to get into that, that beer brewing space. Yeah. And this was like, you know, whiskey is basically the beers leap towards immortality. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the next evolution of beer. Uh, it's, you know, they say that about milk and cheese and, and yeah, so. Um, so, and then it just kind of became over time, uh, as this company was growing, because it started like when I started there, we were working out of the back of a tasting of our tasting room. Mm -hmm. It was like a really small footprint. Uh, and, uh, I was able to help the company grow because I had been through that before with, a, in, in former jobs, uh, kind of like starting up a new plant and, and working out the kinks and getting that going. So I was able to uh, basically add that expertise and help them out with that. Wow. So it's, <laughs> I kind of like got in on the, I would say like sort of the ground floor as we were really starting to uh, get market share here in, in Oregon and um, just be a part of that process of growing. Wow, that is incredible to me. I mean, it just seems like such an interesting journey right? from tofu right, to yeah. whiskey, tofu to rum. <laughs> And it, it, but that sort of like process, like prior to the tofu place, I was working at a uh, film processing lab back when film was still like moderately large as, yeah. as digital was taken over and film was going out. But all of, all of those things, it's, it's a process environment and they all sort of follow the same steps. You have, you have an input of whatever that, whether it's film, whether it's soybeans, whether it's, uh, you know, whiskey, you bring it in and then you alter it somehow and then you have an output. So like all that stuff, it seems disparate, but they're all actually very similar processes. Right. This is fascinating to me. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so with this huge lineup that you just recently put on the market, um, I was able to, you know, again, I mentioned taste during the East Side Distilling Dinner at Clark Lewis. That was wonderful. Thanks to Lynn at Play Nice PR for connecting us. And some of those flavors were really fantastic. I mean, they all were, but the Marion Berry was one people were like, mmm, about, right? right. Yeah. And at that time, the cherry and the cranberry were not yet released, I don't think. Right. So do you have one that's your favorite? Do I even ask? Is that like asking who your favorite child is? <laughs> uh, out of our new products, uh, we did a release called the uh, it was our small batch rye mm -hmm. and just a, a blend of rye is basically after I uh, got the job as head distiller, it was my first blend that I did, my first new product. 
and then that won a gold medal at San Francisco Spirits Competition. So, like, wow, that's probably my yeah. favorite because you know, right yeah. out of the gate, you win an award for it, and it's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, the Marionberry, it's been around since almost the beginning of Eastside. It's been one of our standard products, and the way that you're able to substitute that as um, in drinks for something like sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the drinks at the Eastside dinner was a Negroni made with right. that instead of uh, instead of sweet vermouth. Because um, it's, it's very difficult to find a good sweet vermouth. So if you have a good option that can sub in, especially something made with local ingredients, um, then that's always a benefit. Right. Absolutely. So the, and then the cherry, it's made with, what are the cherries called? Um, I can't remember it's the name of like it. It's called like Luxardo or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, I don't know the, the variety of the cherries, but we're using um, Luxardo, uh, uh, one of their basically liqueurs that we're blending with our whiskey. Right. So um, mm. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're taking that and yeah, basically creating a, a new, a new, a new product. Yeah, that sounds delicious. I like I like those cherries. I'm so sorry to the company that I couldn't remember their the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's really wonderful. And then the cranberry. I mean, it's that time of year, right? We're thinking holidays, so cranberry comes up. <laughs> right. So can you talk us through that one a little bit? How did you come up with it? What's the process? So I saw uh, basically artwork for that. So our uh, our designer sent over artwork, or actually our, our uh, chief marketing officer, Janet, she um, made up these mock-ups to do consumer research. And then I saw the label and I was like, you know what? I think I have a recipe for that oh. because, um, so I love, I love cooking. Um, and one of like, one of the first cookbooks I got was called the Timberline Lodge cookbook. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I think it was published first in the late eighties and or early nineties. And there's a recipe in there for cranberry relish, cranberry port relish. And we have a port barrel uh, finished whiskey that we didn't really have a home for. Like we didn't really have an idea what to do with it. And I thought, okay, let's take this food recipe, (laughs) like a relish for turkey, and then kind of take those elements and then put, meld that Mm -hmm. together with the whiskey and then see what we get. And it fortunately turned out pretty well. And it worked. Yeah. Right. So everybody can have cranberry on their table in multiple forms over the holidays (laughs) here. (laughs) And so you use Oregon oak barrels, right? Correct. And so tell listeners and about how that makes, what's special about that? So it's a species of Oregon white oak. Um, The species name is Gariana. And it's only grown on the Pacific, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, a little small band of the West Coast, uh, ranging from Northern California up through Southern British Columbia, and pretty much only one cooper uh, really makes the barrels from scratch. Uh, Oregon Barrel Works down in Milwaukee, and so the it's it was originally used as a substitute for for French oak back in the 70s when there was a shortage of French oak barrels for the wine industry here. So um, there were some coopers that said, hey, we have this this oak here, let's see if we can use it. And it turned out to actually be pretty interesting. 
um, and usable. And then uh, I think around 2012 is when Eastside started uh, buying those barrels and then laying down bourbon in them and kind of went on from there and it adds like I, I I don't really like to give tasting notes just because people's taste memories are so different, but uh, like it adds like a sort of like this umami deep smoke, like a smoked tea sort of flavor to it um, and some savory dessert elements. And uh, yeah, it's, it basically, we can take uh, pretty much any whiskey and then put it in these barrels for as little as 45 days, um, up to a year. And then it creates just this brand new product that's locally influenced. And then Jason, do the barrels get reused? What happens after? Yeah, so we still have our original barrels and we still use them. So those are coming up on um, almost 10 years old and we still use them. And we haven't even uh, had had to have them refurbished because they they keep giving off this uh, amazing character and obviously that, that'll change over the years as it as you extract more from those barrels yeah but um, they, they keep going and it it's always incredible to see what comes out of them I mean I've heard that barrels can be so expensive right right and I think some of that right is that well, it's a very skills, you know, a very specific skill set, right? For a, there aren't right. very many coopers to make barrels, right? Right. So reusing them seems so smart if you can do it. What is the process? I know this is such an oddball piece, but I've always been interested in, you know, so once you empty the barrel, before you reuse it, does it need to dry out? What 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 happens with it? No, we could just refill it basically right after that. Okay. So our resting periods. Uh, for for different types of whiskeys, like scotches will age in a barrel for, you know, 30, 40 years. So basically there's, there's no limit to uh, how long you can age in a barrel as just as long as the wood is, you know, still present. Yeah. So um, we only do it for anywhere from like 45 is the minimum that we'd like to do. We find that 60 to 90 days is the ideal uh, spot, but we've gone over a year as much as 400 days and had some amazing product come out of it. But, uh, yeah, just when we empty it, we try to refill them as soon as possible. Right. And then, um, yeah, it, it's basically just continuous process of, of refilling them as soon as they're emptied. So Jason, are you and the team then, you know, doing daily tastings to decide when it's like primo and ready to roll out? No, we'll do like uh, basically at the 30 day mark is when we start evaluating them. Mm-hmm. And then we'll take a, just basically a res- representative sample, um, depending on how long we've had the barrel and then um, basically which barrel it is. Uh, and then basically every 15 days after that, we do a, little, a, a sample of that. Okay. Okay. And so you must have an exceptional palate. Uh, <laughs> it, it'd be great to think so, and uh, it's. But for me, it's only it's really only recently that I've been able to. Um, I think everyone has a great palate. It's the the skill is connecting your taste memory to what you're sensing 
one whenever you're tasting any any kind of product whether it be food or or alcohol it's having the vocabulary connecting um something you know people will throw out something like this tastes like this wine tastes like blackberries and uh if you hadn't had a blackberry you wouldn't be able to basically connect it to that of course uh which is what one of the reasons why i don't don't like to give tasting notes because like my experience will be different but uh, just being able to connect that your, your taste memory to that particular product is is really the skill because everybody everybody will taste similar things and you know you can get certain flavors from it but being able to name them is the challenge right yeah that's such an interesting part that connection your vocabulary to your taste memory to be able to communicate right (laughs) about it right like you know especially when you're deciding like okay it's ready to bottle or not right? right being able to make those decisions and and verbalize why it is ready or why it isn't seems right. very imperative to your process. And sometimes like, you know, I've been working with these barrels for seven years and uh, our blender, Amber, she's been working uh, with them for five years. And sometimes it'll just be, this isn't ready yet. And we can't really articulate why, but uh, it's just kind of like, we can taste that it's not ready without mm-hmm. being able to articulate why, but we just, kind of know it after a little bit of experience. <laughs> right. You can just look at each other and like, um, it's not ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, it's so good that you have that ability as a team to, you know, have that, you know, side eye at each other and understand what <laughs> right. you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, might not have the words, but we know it's not ready. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is great. And so for pairing, um, during the Clark Lewis dinner, we had such an array of dishes along with the beverages. But since you're, you know, really enjoy cooking, do you have certain of the small batches that you're, that you've just produced that you're loving with certain foods? I think like the Marionberry whiskey is actually pretty good with desserts and it's something you can cook with too. So, um, like a reduction, Oh yeah. uh, maybe sweeten it up a little bit, pour it over vanilla ice cream or, Bread pudding is one of my favorite things. And then doing a bourbon sauce with bread pudding is absolutely fantastic. And then if you cook with it, you can obviously pair with it and then have a, a cocktail made with that in, that same whiskey and then be able to enjoy both. Right. I mean, that's a nice addition, right, to have something that's in the food that you're drinking as well. That's really fun. <clears throat> and yeah. so is your preference cooking or baking or both? Uh, cooking, I would say mm-hmm. like baking's like, it takes a lot. <laughs> like <laughs> right. I, I bake, I break bread all the time. Okay. So like, I got really deep into that. Um, not, not like I was starting that before the pandemic happened before the whole. Right. Before know, everybody was doing it. Right. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I don't know if you know the, uh, Mark Bittman, he, the prolific food writer out there. Uh, he mentioned uh, grinding your own grain, like milling your own grain. And then, so I started researching into that. And about six months ago, I bought my own little countertop uh, grain mill. Uh So I've been, that's consuming a lot of my time (laughs) trying to bake with uh, freshly milled grains, which is a challenge. (laughs) So that is so interesting. And so what makes it challenging? I'm intrigued. So basically it, it's, it's more of a perception thing. So um, when you have the, the bran 
in there. It it basically um, it kind of shatters apart the gluten. It it's little sharp particles particles of bran will will stop the gluten from forming together in like a mechanical way and also like an enzymatic way. So right. enzymes will prevent the gluten from forming. So all it translates into is you won't get the kind of rise that you would get out of like a bread uh, a bread flour that you buy at the store. Yeah. So you have to. Uh, just deal with like something that's a little bit more dense, but mm-hmm. still as flavorful, but it may not look the best, but it will taste far better than anything that you buy at the store. Now with your bread making, I assume that this wouldn't work, but have you tried adding your Burnside rye to like a rye bread? <laughs> uh, I haven't tried that. But... <laughs> it seems like it'd make <laughs> it too really wet, but just thought maybe. <laughs> Actually, like uh, I've been toying around with the, putting uh like fruit juices in mm-hmm. and then so like something like the mary mary whiskey would i think would be great for that yeah i mean just i'm intrigued by the cranberry spirit that you have like making a cranberry raisin bread kind of thing hmm. oh that sounds amazing <laughs> oh huh weekend plans anybody <laughs> or like a cranberry raisin bread pudding Ooh. and then uh the cranberry whiskey reduction reduction sauce oh fantastic. That's, what I, that's what i would do <laughs> That sounds great. All right. Well, if I get around to that, Jason, I'll share some with you. <laughs> That'd be amazing. So we are getting close. We're closing in on time here, Jason. So thank you again for being with us. But are there some last pieces that you would like for folks to know? Please let us listeners know how they can access Eastside Distilling. How can they get it into their homes and anything else you want to share? Yeah, so people outside of Oregon can go to eastsidedistilling.com and we have a link to buy online. And depending on if, you, if your state allows that, allows online shipping, you can go on there and basically order most of our products direct. Uh, if you're in Oregon, um, just go to OregonLiquorSearch.com, and it is the best resource. All you do is you type in your zip code or address, or if you know your liquor store number, um, type that in, plus the product that you're looking for, and it will tell you exactly which store has it near you, and even how many bottles they have, how much it is. And it's the best resource for finding booze in Oregon. Right. So listeners, if you're not aware of that, what Jason just said, it is so true. It's an incredible resource that I think a lot of people don't know about. But if you have a spirit that you really intend on purchasing before you're running around from liquor store to liquor store, go to the site and you can access the information before you even put your shoes on and head out. (laughs) Right. And so listeners as well, follow Eastside Distilling on Instagram. So that's Eastside Distilling. And uh, let's see, Jason, what are some last words that you want to share with listeners before we head out for the day? Um, just drink responsibility and respons- responsibly. and uh, <laughs> As we're doing yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Jason. And everybody, happy holidays. Uh, I, I can't believe it's here, kind of as I referred to at the top of the segment. <laughs> Anyway, but these beverages are fantastic. We had them with a squash bisque, a venison tartare, a steak, a pasta. These beverages go with everything. They're delicious and local. So, you know, it's always shop local, support local. Jason, thanks again and happy holidays to you. All right. Thank you. The Joy of Drinking podcast is produced by Joy Church, executive produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson in association with Right at the Fork.